Anthony. Well, firstly, I want to thank every, every single person here tonight. He made his debut in this arena. He won the British title in this arena, the Commonwealth title in this arena. And in tonight, he became heavyweight champion of the world at the O2. So I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight, firstly. When will you have him out next? Listen, this guy is the most humble sportsman you could ever meet. He's just won the heavyweight championship of the world. It looks like he's just won a four-rounder. This is only the beginning. He's got aspirations to unify all the belts, and he will. We've got a little something planned for probably July the 9th, maybe at the National Stadium at Wembley. So get ready for that. He's going to go through everybody. He's going to go through everybody. But I'll tell you what, Britain should be very, very proud. And I said before this fight, the sport has got a chance now with a role model that can transcend the sport to the casual audience that young people can look up to. Anthony Joshua won the Olympic Heavyweight Championship, the British Heavyweight Championship, and tonight he won the World Heavyweight Championship. This man's going to go on to be a real great of sport. There's another fight going on uh, across Europe that night, no, in Manchester on that night. So will you go up against Klitschko and Fury? Listen, this is going to be the biggest star in world boxing if he's not already. He's so humble, he's down to earth, he can beat them all. Don't worry about the small stuff. This is the real deal right here and he'll beat everybody. Hi and welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. If it's your first time listening, welcome. If it's not your first time listening, welcome back. As always, the support's really appreciated. The intro, I think people will remember where they were, you know, four years ago, or just over four years ago, on April, I think it was April 9th, 2016, when Anthony Joshua won the World Heavyweight Championship of Charles Martin. And everyone remembers Charles Martin won it because his opponent fell over. So... You know, we can come on to that in a second, but we've had four years. And I think four years is an adequate time to assess Anthony Joshua's reign as heavyweight champion. And people say this is an anti-Joshua thing. It's not. It's just a realistic assessment of where we are four years later. By the time he gets to unifying, I can't see him being beaten. Look, when he beat Charles Martin... It was easy at the time to talk about he's a baby in the sport, he's this, he's that, we're building him nicely. And yes, to an extent, the points were valid. But like I said, we've had four years now to, to understand where the progression has gone. So you, let's look at Josh's career in the highest level terms. Beat a washed up Klitschko, got sparked out by Ruiz, Rematched Ruiz, was scared as shit of getting knocked out again and ran around the ring. That's a high-level summary of Joshua's career. It's more nuanced than that. I think if, you, if you're a Joshua fan, you can see the intricacies and you can say he boxed really well to regain his titles. Ruiz was overweight. Ruiz crumbled under the pressure of being world champion. And that is where you have to give Anthony Joshua his due. Never has the responsibility of being world champion really got to him. And yeah, I know people will talk about he wasn't ready June last year, but I've never known of Joshua to miss a sponsor's commitment. I've never known him to miss a training session. I've never known Joshua to miss a media appointment. He's a guy that shows up on time. He, he is professional in everything that he does. And, and that's good because remember, this is a guy that took up the sport at 18. 
Joshua has a lot of credit for, for where he started to where he is. There's no question this is a fairy tale. Where I take issues is when people like Hearn try and convince me that Joshua's this monster, he's a guy that can't be beat, he's a guy that will take on any challenger. They're the two things I have an issue with. The unbeatable thing and taking on any challenger. And you can add in the third dimension of that, the unification aspect of it. You know, the fight we all wanted to see, regardless of what belts were at stake for a long time, was Joshua versus Wilder. Four years later, we are no closer to that fight happening. You know, we, we talked then about would Joshua fight Fury. I don't even think we're close to that fight happening now. So let's start to look at what Joshua's done in those four years. When your first title defences are Dominic Bambi Brazil and Eric the Dope Molina, we're not off to a good start, are we? Like, this is, not a, this is not a run where you're thinking, okay, he's serious about dominating. No, uh, yes, he gave us some entertainment when him and Brazil went head-to-head, you know, and he tried to do the tough guy thing. Yeah, fine. But Brazil, much like Joshua, was a latecomer to boxing. Maybe even started after Joshua did. But he was utterly clueless. And I think we found out Brazil's just very weak mentally. And so big time boxing is definitely not for him. He's not a big enough character. And so that was an easy defense. Eric Molina has been shit for God knows how long. He's terrible. He's rancid. He's quite possibly the worst person I've seen fight for a world title. He's an embarrassment. But maybe he's a good teacher. I have no idea. But that's not a defense that we can take seriously. I refuse to accept that. You know, Brazil and Molina constitute credible defences. Uh, Joshua fans, get at me on that one. Feel free. But I do want to come to a moment where I am more than happy to give Anthony Joshua his due. Like 100%, you know, you've got to tip your hat to the guy for this moment here. Pitchco with his experience now. Could cause problems for Josh. Looking for that right hand there. There's nothing in this round. Good punches landing from both men. And I like the success from Joshua. What Tony Belly was saying there was Joshua needs to impose his style, put his shots together. It's all right saying it, but it's another thing doing it if you feel it. Oh, oh good shot there from Anthony Joshua, and Vladimir Klitschko took it, but Joshua's going for a big left hand, and down goes the giant Ukrainian in the same round that he lost his unbeaten record to Ross Purity. And can he get through it? A minute and a half left in the 11th, and Klitschko down. Look, 
as an event, Joshua Klitschko will take a lot to to beat. Like, I don't even think we could get ourselves up in that same way for Joshua versus Fury. I think we're jaded now. I think that came at a time when there was so much hope for Joshua, where the trajectory was up and it was like, well, here's another name for him to have. Here's another name for him to get his teeth into on his way up. Maybe after this guy, we're going to get the Wilder fight, right? That's how we were thinking. So we got behind him in a way that the country hasn't done for a long time. The energy behind Joshua that night was greater than the energy for Froch v. Groves, by far. It is absolutely insane. You can hear from the audio, the crowd are going crazy because they understand what it means for a guy who's still relatively green to have done that. Got himself off the canvas, understood he had nothing in the tank, so in round 11, he threw the kitchen sink at Vlad. And he, he managed to land that fight-changing right uppercut. Vlad was perhaps overconfident. Maybe Vlad gambled on Joshua getting tired, but Anthony Joshua came and dominated the psychology of that round and saw it through. But, 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 we've got to ask, why didn't Vlad have a tune-up fight? Why didn't Vladimir fight a Gerald Washington, a Christian Hammer, a Tom Schwartz, a Hellenius? Why didn't Vlad have a tune-up fight before that Joshua fight? It's an open question. People might have their own opinions on that. Because if you look at that fight, 10 rounds, Vlad loses the first five, wins the second five, Joshua stops him in the 11th. Does Vladimir Klitschko lose any of those first five rounds if he has a tune-up fight? If he's got someone in front of him who can stress test Vladimir's capabilities? I don't know. What I do know is that fight mirrored what would happen if someone was rusty, where it took him five rounds to get his timing in. And once he got his timing in, it was a relatively easy fight for Vladimir to control. That's the first thing. The second thing is Vlad went out on his feet and it wasn't like the ref stopped him after he took an absolute shellacking. If Vlad had had the now around him to just cover up, I think he could have survived that round. But that's on him. Like, I'm not going to take that away from Joshua, but I'm going to say that you had a guy that had been on the bench for the best part of 15 months, 16 months, I don't know what it is. He'd just been parked upon the bench doing nothing apart from, you know, paddleboarding, whatever it is he likes to do. No tune-up fight. Fight someone who has momentum. Whether, whether you agree with Joshua's opponents, <laughs> Charles Martin, Brazil, <laughs> and Eric Molina. It does, the point is, there's momentum, camp after camp after camp. I think Vlad needed to equalise that somewhat, and I don't think he did. But like I said, I'm still going to give Joshua credit because that version of Vlad probably beats most other heavyweights. That's the reality of it. So it's a good win. It's not a game-changing win because that's not a fully fit Vlad. I'm not saying that's... Whether, whether it's the best Vlad is irrelevant, but that's not a match fit Vlad. And so that's the issue. I'd go on record to say, if they fought five times now, I think Vlad wins four times. Now, if Vlad got into camp, had a couple of tune-ups, got himself match fit, I still think he'd beat Joshua. Because the things Vladimir's good at are the things Joshua's good at. 
But Vlad seems to hold more pop in how he does it. So if it's going to be a shootout, I see Vlad winning. And I think Vlad's just cleverer at that low-risk offense that he loves to do. But overall, that's a big tick in Joshua's, in Joshua's column, right? Charles Martin, Brazil, <laughs> Molina, <laughs> Vlad, absolutely. So at this point, we're now expecting the rematch, right? They've done it once, do it again, big money. And for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. Then we expect the Pulev fight. Mm. We get where they're coming from. It's a mandatory. It's going to happen. Okay. That then doesn't happen. Not Joshua's fault. So we're left with Carlos Takam. Carlos Takam, in a simple and efficient expression, is simply a sparring partner. He's just a sparring partner to world-level fighters. He's a guy you get in to get you right. Like Malik Scott. He's at that Malik Scott level of boxing. Maybe without the skill, but definitely with the toughness. No power in his fist. Like, he looks like he should knock people out. And you wonder why he doesn't. He couldn't even stop Joseph Parker. Takam is not world level. Never has been, never will be. No matter how much they try and convince you, do not believe that he's world level. He absolutely isn't world level. So that fight happens, and it's worth remembering, Takam had like two weeks to get ready for that fight. I know Hearn tried to convince us that Carlos Takam was in camp getting ready for a fight. He absolutely wasn't, and he boxed like he wasn't. He boxed like he was a sparring partner, surviving round after round. He didn't come out the way he came after Chisora. I don't want to hear this because Joshua's a bigger, stronger guy. That's not true. The psychology of it means that Takam's got to be himself in the fight. And I don't think he was himself in that Joshua fight because he hadn't had a chance to prepare. He was so sure that the Pulev fight would happen. He was just, ah, whatever. And so that's not an impressive defense. But now we're in a position where we're saying, when is he going to give us the fight we want as fans? Vlad wasn't really a fight we wanted because we'd seen him on the bench and we'd seen him just not wanting to deal with the Fury fight. We'd seen Fury not want to deal with the fight. It had been a mess all around. So we just thought Vlad would stop and he'd retire. It, well, that was an unexpected bonus. But after that, we've got to get back to business now of this guy needs to cement his legacy. And remember, we heard the excuses of, oh, you know, he's got two belts now. He just wants to get that third belt. Then we'll unify. Okay. Fine. So he, go, he goes to Parker. Parker's the worst world champion I've seen in any division. Parker is terrible. Like, and I don't know why he's terrible. I don't get it. Like, he's tough and he's tenacious. But it's like he, he can't box. And that sounds weird because he's, he's, he's a lifelong amateur. But there's something about Parker that says, you've been badly trained your whole career. And, and you know, is Kevin Barry a good trainer? I have no idea. But based on what I see with Parker, he's terrible. Parker is terrible. I thought Parker was terrible before the Joshua fight because I was surprised Ruiz didn't finish him off. I want to come back to Ruiz, but I'm, I'm surprised Ruiz... We live in a world where Joseph Parker was a world champion and Derek Chisora may never be a world champion. We live in a world where Joseph Parker was a world champion. David Tua wasn't a world champion. 
The injustice of Parker winning a world title makes me sick to my stomach. I, it's, it's beyond belief. But we accept the reality that he was a world champion and Joshua won the belts. Now he's got three belts. Now the assumption is the games are over. At that point there, as boxing fans, what we're saying is stop. No soft tune-ups, no bullshit fights. Now make the Wilder fight. And at this point, Wilder's now looking like, okay, one guy has all the other belts. I want to fight him. And Wilder's saying to his people, make the fight. The fans are like, it's got to happen now. We got to pay £100 to watch it? Fine. We'll watch it. This is what we, this is what we got behind Joshua for. This moment when he's just beaten Parker, this is what it's all about. What I'd have to do to beat Wilder? Get him in the ring and I'll knock him spark out. Thank you very much. I was always interested with how Hearn reacted to that situation afterwards because as a fan, that's the moment we're talking about, right, unification's got to happen now. Like, come on. You know, we know where all the belts are. It's just two people holding the belts. Now the fight happens. You know, that's all we want. We just want... His promoter, Joshua's promoter, to just do the right thing. That's all we're asking for. Please, do the right thing. All I see on social media is, oh, we want it, we want it, we've wanted it for years. It's like, well, how many times have you approached us? None. Seriously, you've not None. had any Never offers. one approach. No, no offers. They couldn't offer anyone anything. Everything they could offer is the money we'd bring in. So, but other, as I said in the press conference, we've got a very limited time to try and make that happen. Is it key for that fight to be made now? Otherwise, we're going to lose the window. 2018, yeah. 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 The only question is, if there's a deal to be done that's the right deal, we'll do it next, no problem. Okay, so... We get to a point where we're saying, okay, maybe Wilder's people don't want the fight. Maybe, maybe. And if you remember Team Joshua, Team Matchum was saying it was Wilder that was scared. And what I love about the fullness of time is the truth comes out. They made a huge offer. I think it's been well reported and I, I see the, the thing that they put together for them. Which Did you a, actually see this, Frank? Yes, yes. Because you're not the promoter of that boxer, are you? No. You so like, did you actually you see like, it? You sound like Tony Bellin. Oh, yes, I do, so I better shut up. <laughs> <laughs> mind me on business. Yes. I know, mind your own. <laughs> I actually, to be, I'm sure Shelley Fink will be over here and he'll tell you yourself. When, uh, when they were putting the bid together to the offer to, all, to um, Joshua, I helped him with it in some of the... Matters of what they were looking for, you know, what BT would put in, would you know, would BT be interested in buying the fight? Because remember, they were buying the rights to promote the fight, and BT were very interested in broadcasting it. It wasn't about being on Sky for them; it was about who came up with the most money. So we were talking. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line of it all is, is that um, he was offered fifty million dollar guarantee, and, and if he lost the fight, a rematch with a guarantee of thirty million dollars. That was the bottom line. Could have been more than that. So we get to a point where two years into the reign, we're now struggling, right? We're now at the point where we're being fed Parker, we're being fed Povetkin, and Povetkin has seen better days, and I think the Vada testing took some of that, that snap out of the man we saw obliterate Mike Perez. And 
So this is what Joshua fans are being fed. Why they're still happy with it? Beyond me, not my position. But as Frank said, the 50 million offer comes in. And we went through all the proof of funds, went through all of this, we went through all of that. And people didn't believe the deal that was on the table. But then, I, but then everyone paused for a second and think about what's happened on the Wilder side. Wilder and Fury agreed to fight each other. Both made respectable money in the, in the first fight. The contract stipulated rematches with certain guarantees. And we know there were certain guarantees because we then had to say, well, for this fight to break even, it has to do 900,000 pay-per-view buys, which apparently it did 950. Cool. So we know from the Wilder side, the Shelly Finkel, the Al Heyman side, we know from the Bob Arum side, we know from these, these guys do deals, right? And seemingly they can do business with everyone in boxing apart from Eddie Hearn, who's representing Anthony Joshua. Why is that? Find that very strange. But Frank said it, the deal was there. So after the Povetkin fight, we're all thinking, okay, the deal can happen now. And so we get another swerve. And the swerve was, right, Jarrell Miller's next. Jarrell Miller pops. You know, we all know what happened with Miller. Pops with three different substances. That's absolutely insane. Three different substances. So now we're thinking the fight can happen. Surely, there's a 50 million offer. Joshua needs a dance partner in Madison Square Garden. Wilder doesn't have to fight Brazil. So these guys are in camp roughly at the same time. We can make this fight for the summer in Madison Square Garden. If you want Joshua to make his debut, and it's a whole DAZN thing, what a perfect fight for that to happen. Bear in mind the 50 million offer was there. And then we start hearing talks of, oh, we'll offer Wilder money so he can fight White first, then he can fight Joshua. And you're like, no, 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 no. There's a 50 million offer to unify this. Joshua gets 50 million, the amount he said he wanted, amount he has never earned for one fight in his career. Remember, Klitschko earned more than he did. And don't be surprised if Povet can earn as much as he did as well. You know, Joshua's not a big biller. That's why they never go to purse bids. That's why they overpay opponents so it doesn't go to purse bids. So we'll talk about Pulev in a second, but Pulev would be making really good money. Because Aram knows he could take it to purse bids and he'd humiliate Hearn. So he makes Matchroom and zone front up more money than they want to, to pay their opponent. But if we just come back to the, the whole Wilder thing, the fight could have happened. The 50 million's on the table. Forget what Wilder's earning, it's irrelevant. The fight's happening. And so instead they go scratching around for opponents. Dillian says thanks but no thanks because he doesn't like the terms on offer. So where were these generous terms that Wilds was being offered? You know, 120 million over three fights and all this sort of nonsense, which wasn't true. So where was that? And in the end, they choose Andy Ruiz. Why? They relied on the fact that this guy has no discipline and chokes on the big occasion. They looked at the Parker fight and went, I think this is an easy fight for Joshua. That's what they did. That was what they were thinking. That's what they expected. <laughs> well Told himself up And Andy Ruiz Jr Ahead for you Paulie Yeah he's ahead for me now by two points I've got one, one round up What can Joshua do Right yeah. hand from Ruiz Here he comes again
century. That fills me with so much joy. And when you go back to all the talk we heard in the preceding years, Joshua goes whole career unbeaten. He'll unify. He'll do this. He'll do that. And <laughs> and that happens. And that's against basically a, fucking, a pudding of a man, a guy who's, who'd never shown anything like that at any point to date. I don't think... Andrew Ruiz wins a British title. I don't. Because I don't think he beats Dillian. I don't think he beats Huey Fury. Uh, does he even beat Dave Allen? Maybe. He gives Dave Allen, you know, maybe a bit of a hiding. But Andrew Ruiz isn't a guy where you're thinking, whoa. In the same way, I don't believe Joseph Parker would ever be British champion. I mean, he doesn't beat Chisora. He doesn't, definitely doesn't beat a prime Chisora. I don't think Ruiz beats Chisora now. And so we come back to this point of how good was he that night? History shows us he wasn't that good. But all the Joshua fans, if you remember, it was, there's a rematch clause, there's this, there's that. You know, everyone was getting ready to, to go and watch this at Wembley, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, that's what we were led to believe. I'm in a rematch. Where do you think that rematch will land? In the UK. Yeah, we'll do that in November, December. And uh, so now he must win it. He must win it. Why did he get it on his home turf? The rematch? No, because he gave him the opportunity. Okay. Yeah, so how did that British rematch work out for everyone? But look, we know what happened in the rematch. Joshua skirted around the perimeter of the ring, picked off an overweight and underprepared Ruiz, and everything we suspected about Ruiz came true. The fact that he's not a big-time player, never has been, never will be. He's a guy who does well when there's no pressure on him. Uh, he choked against Parker. I think if if Parker had been talked up a bit more and Ruiz had been talked down a bit more, he might have won that fight. He needs that underdog status. So maybe if they did a trilogy, it'd be different. I don't know. Ruiz, for me, isn't really that good. He might be like sort of like an upsetter, but that's it. So you get to a point where end of 2019, Joshua gets these belts back. Now we're like, Jesus, he might lose them against someone. When's the Wilder fight going to happen? When's the WBC fight going to happen? And then Fury boots the chessboard up in the air and beats Wilder. So now we're thinking, okay, there's definitely an IBF mandatory in Pulev who won't step aside. He's already said that because now Pulev realizes he can get to Joshua. If he can be a combination puncher who comes forward and can cut the ring off. The thing about Joshua now is people need to be able to cut the ring off on him. Keep him under that psychological pressure where his jab just ain't going to cut it. Right? So you've got Pulev, who's a tough man. He's old, but he's tough, and he'll be good for a few rounds. Then you've got the WBO mandatory Usyk. So 2020 is a write-off. I don't know if Usyk's proven as a heavyweight. People tell me he's the best heavyweight in the world. Uh, yeah. 
I think you react differently when you get hit by bigger men than you. I just think that. I think he was a, he was a cruiserweight who was quite big, but now he's in the land of the giants. I don't necessarily think he'll be able to have his way to the same extent that he did against guys like Bellew. So, so now we're four years in, and all we've been promised is this unification dream. And with every year, Joshua's value to his own fans has just dipped, 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 dipped. Ruiz knocked a ton of credibility off of him. And now they're trying to rebuild that credibility with some soft fights, some soft, you know, after the pool, they've expected there to be loads of in-house fights that serve no purpose. And then in parallel, you'll hear talks about the Fury fight happening. So it's been four years of disappointment, right? Then none of these fights are the fights the fans want to see because Fury and Wilder are not part of this equation. Joshua's legacy isn't strong because the best people of his generation are right there and he's choosing not to fight them. It's not that he can't, he's choosing not to fight them. No one asks him why. Even if Joshua dropped the damn belt and just fought one of these guys for legacy, go back and regain them when you want to. Cool, we can all live with that. But this is where we're at, four years. And it's just... It, this doesn't make sense. His inability to progress from beating Charles Martin to where we are now. I need to give you a context for this. Think about this, right? Since Joshua won that title, Fury's discovered drugs, embraced drugs, gone over to Marseille, spent thousands of pounds buying shots for England fans, ballooned up to 28, 29 stone. You know, suffered depression, overcame depression, came back, has fought, what's he fought? Five or six times? Yeah, he's fought six times. And now he's the best heavyweight in the world, beyond question, beyond debate. He's the only undefeated heavyweight in the top five, I think. Yeah, he's, the only, he's number one without question, without debate, without doubt. Fury's done that in these four years. He's been to hell and back, literally, in the time that Joshua's held those belts. Belts that Fury quite rightly lays a claim to. Wilder's gone from, as Hearn said it, a man that nobody knows, to possibly the second best heavyweight in the world. Definitely one of the best paid heavyweights in the world. They, they used to laugh at Wilder for making two, three million a fight. Now he's into the 15, 20 million bracket. He's done that in four years, all off his own back. Think about this. Think about how far these guys, how much hustle has gone into those two guys getting themselves to be number one and number two in the division. A division that Hearn said Joshua would rule like a king. And he hasn't. You know, there's a superior black race comment, riding around on motorcycles during COVID, you know, praying, what was it, praying in the mosque and then having to delete that. All these sorts of mishaps that people don't want to talk about, but they exist. In the meantime, Fury's just ridden to the top of the division without really missing a beat. But he's done that against the most feared puncher since George Foreman. Even more fearsome than Mike Tyson, because Mike Tyson had a lot of puddings put in front of him. Yeah, the most feared puncher, Fury showed up, faced him. Drew once, obliterated him the second time. That's how we want our heavyweight. How that's how we want our heavyweight champion to behave.
go straight into it. No messing around, be a real fighting man. Which Joshua hasn't shown an appetite to do. So, you've got those two guys. Canelo has won belts at 154, 160. Uh, 168, I think. And definitely 175. And he's about to fight again for another 168 title. You know, and in that time, Canelo's gone from being a guy that people weren't really talking about because Joshua's shadow was huge to now being a guy that, look, on the same platform, the zone, Canelo is the top dog, not Joshua, Canelo. Canelo drives the revenue and the subscription growth for the zone. The Joshua experiment failed. You know, after that Ruiz thing, they realized they can't put him in with top tier fighters. They put Canelo in with a feared puncher in Kovalev. And they trusted, they trust Canelo to deliver. That's why he's going to fight Golovkin again and potentially stop him. And then, then Canelo just different stratosphere, leaves Joshua alone. Just to understand what Joshua's done in four years, Shakur Stevenson's gone from, I don't know if I want to do this amateur boxing thing anymore, to getting a controversial decision in the Olympics. Now he's a world champion. Josh Warrington's gone from, this guy's going to get beaten soon enough, to maybe being one of the, the better British boxers out there. You know, comfortably sitting on that world title, about to unify with Shakur Stevenson. God willing. Although, you know, Hearn will find a way to scupper that one. Now we're starting to understand the progression. Teofimo Lopez. From nothing to one of the top guys. Josh Taylor hadn't even fought Rocky Ryan. Never mind O'Hara Davis. And you look at where Josh Taylor is now. Josh Taylor might be one of our more credible champions because we're not looking to him to unify. But once again, you know, are we going to see that? I hope so, because he strikes me as the kind of guy who's on that. Dillian's rebuilt to a point where we're now making a case for Dillian beating Joshua because we've seen what left hooks can do to him. He rebuilt off his own back. Took the harder route to Sora twice. Parker. This, I mean... He's, he's been in. He's been in tough. He's taken risks because he understands that's what you have to do to get the fans to love you. You have to take those risks. People say, oh, he fought Ruiz. Joshua fought Ruiz. That wasn't meant to be a risky fight. Look. And Dubois has gone from putting Joshua on his backside in Sheffield to now being the most credible British threat to Joshua. Joe Joyce has gone from you know, I wonder what this guy will do, to winning a silver medal and now also being a credible threat to Joshua. Guys like Hergovic have come up. All of this has happened in those four years Joshua's been champion. And we're like, where's your progression? They said you were learning. They said you'd only get better and you haven't. So where is your progression? That's the sad thing about all of this is you've had these belts four years and people will, will praise all of that. And really... What have you done with it? Apart from make money for Matchroom. You haven't really built a legacy where fans can say, look, look at the top tier guys he's fought because he hasn't fought any top tier guys. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. Mayweather leaves the sport, comes back, makes 100 odd million, maybe even 200 million, leaves again, comes back, fights in Japan, makes a guaranteed 10 mil, but I heard it was 20 mil off the top. Money that Joshua can't make. Remember when he was talking about trying to be the billionaire boxer 
and you know talk about I want to do Michael Jordan numbers, and here you are sponsoring links and bulk powders. That was, I don't know. I don't know. On one hand, I want to give Joshua credit because here's a kid from Watford who, to all intents and purposes, was a bit of a bully around there and wanted to live the street life, turns his whole life around, becomes an Olympic gold medalist, becomes a world champion, a multi-millionaire, and he can provide for his family. Massive ticks in the Joshua column for me. And I think if we just said Joshua will be a contender at the top level his whole career, he'll be threatening to some people, he'll get beaten by others, we'd all be okay with that. I think he's been tarnished by the nonsense he talks publicly and also the nonsense Hearn talks about him. Because we're bored of it now. And if we don't get the Joshua or the Wilder fight, the Fury or the Wilder fight in 2021, I don't want to hear any Joshua fans talking about him. Because we know those two guys are ready to fight. They've proved it beyond question. No spin, no media management. They've proved it. We now need to see Joshua prove that he's serious about his legacy. Because I don't believe he is right now. The commercial experiment hasn't worked and it won't work until fans and sponsors see this guy in with the best of his generation because that's what made Jordan great. Every season, Jordan had to play Magic Johnson. He had to play Larry Bird. He had to play against Isaiah Washington, Charles Barkley, Dikembe Mutombo, Patrick Ewing. Oh God, and the name's going. Sean Kemp, Larry Johnson. What's his name? Uh, John Stockton. You know, he played with guys like Scotty Pippen. You know, he, it's easy to do it. Troy Aikman. You can understand how good Troy Aikman is because he was against guys like Steve Young, Brett, Brett Favre. You know I mean, you can understand these guys who justifiably claim to be the best in the world. Messi plays against the best in the world almost every week. And there's Joshua fighting puddings and, and reprobates. And that's what we have to put up with as boxing fans. The four years of Joshua, for me, have been a massive disappointment. I challenge anyone to provide evidence to the contrary of that, but it's been a massive disappointment. That's no, I don't even think that's a criticism of Joshua. It's a criticism of the people he has around him because they've all tried to keep the cash coming in because they all need to feed off that. And it's, it's, it's been tragic for boxing because, as Wilder said... We wanted one name, one face, one champion. And we didn't get that. Look, I really appreciate you guys listening this far. If you have done, you know, you're all watching the news and you all understand that we're getting into the, the thousand deaths a day territory. And as the weather gets good, I'm seeing people outside hanging out with their mates, socializing. Like Easter's when the coronavirus takes some time off. It doesn't. It's only going to get worse. And we're just elongating this. And it's not true for everyone. I just think in the big cities, people are being a bit more reckless. Whereas I think in the sort of more rural areas where people are more dispersed, they're being sensible. But it's taking lives. And I, I don't want it to get to a position where we're all talking about relatives we've lost. We shouldn't have to do that. That's why they're saying stay in, your, stay in your house, stay home. The weather's nice at home too, you know. And our people say, oh, but it's easy if you've got a garden. doesn't matter. Look, why don't you get a house with a garden? Change your life so you can buy a house with a garden. Don't make excuses. 
stay home, please, for the sake of this country and for the sake of us getting out of our houses permanently, please stay home. In his last Instagram post before being put on a ventilator, Fred the Godson asked for prayers. A doctor told his wife Wednesday morning he might not make it. Cold summer, what a cold summer. Like that summer they killed Chris and took his soul from him. Niggas move funny when you need him to the wolves run up. In 2020 trying to beat us like we stole from him. Damn, old summer, what a cold summer. The whole spring got canceled, we might have no summer. They said New York is ground zero. And everybody look like Sub-Zero with their mouths and their nose covered. Uh, now you bugging when your nose running. But you can't get tested even if you feel a cold coming. Because it might be the fever or the flu or neither of the two. But how we supposed to know when we don't know nothing? Medical supplies running low, so they don't got a test for all of us. And we was living foul. Maybe God is testing all of us. Went from club hopping in Corona Queens, sipping on Coronas, to going from Corona to the coroner. Who would think that we would live our future with a mask on? We was used to listening to future, nigga, mask on. Mask off, God bless them, all the trap niggas. Not a trap niggas, ain't no different than them rap niggas. Not them big actors and them Instagram actors are the same, cause we all being contained. That's a fact, nigga. They say stay home, cause we sick, it's a morgue. It's six feet away or six deep, cause they gon' think you sick when you cough. And Times Square look like I am legend. My name's Will Smith and the dog. Dog, it's getting dark, crap your heart for walk. Just seen the National Guard, I smell martial law. And Trump the door, we're gonna do it, but what that mean to him? I say he's trying to get us sick to set a vaccine to us. Stay woke. If it's a virus, we can fight it with ease. There's ozone and high dose vitamin C. We don't drink enough water. That was poisoning our health, so we don't flush the colon. We've been poisoning ourselves. And I heard jail got the COVID, now it's poisoning the cells. And every 5G tower's putting poison in our cells. God, please forgive me. I was trapping on the iPhone. Hope this ain't payback for selling poison through a cell. Hope this ain't payback for the way we took the earth for granted and you got us on house arrest because of how we hurt the planet. Please, please, forgive us as a whole. Don't let this be the new normal. Don't make us give up what we know. Stop the death penalty and sentence us to quarantine. Lord, we probably never stop grieving if you don't. One more thing before I go. I know that you will never hate us, but if you're behind us, you just taught us to do better later. I swear if you're behind us, you just taught us to do better later. Promise to go hard, just get my dog up off that ventilator. Moses, marry God, please get my dog up off that ventilator. Pray hard for my nigga Fred the God. Fred's wife begs not to count him out just yet. Don't just assume they're gonna die. He's winning. He's winning.